Grandpa picks up the baton. We'd all bundled out of the room in a tumbling throng, laughing and giggling. But now we were hanging around the corridor in a seething, broiling, nail-biting mass. The doctor was inside the room with our beloved grandma and grandpa, and he couldn't come out soon enough to reassure us. Grandma had wanted a holiday in the hills, and we grandchildren had taken it as a God-given edict. She enjoyed day one, but by day two, she was panting and unusually sapped of energy. The front desk was besieged by a worried third-gen army, expecting the doctor to be instantly teleported to her side and having no patience for the realities of him being on his way. At last, he arrived, and the eldest, Ina, explained the situation. The kindly-looking man approached Grandma and the very first question he asked her was, How old are you, madam? He almost jumped out of his skin when the room erupted in raucous laughter. You tell him, Grandma, you tell him! We encouraged her. She skewered us with her eyes and answered him with an absolutely straight face. I'm twelve. It was left to Ina to explain that it was a long-standing family joke that she'd never confessed to more than that, despite being overtaken even by her grandchildren. The doctor was amused, but clearly on her side, as he threw us all out, insisting he needed privacy to examine his patient. Which is why we were all fretting in the corridors. No one wanted Grandma to sicken under our watch. We'd been delighted to be able to gratify her simple wish and bring her up here. We had to take her back hale and hearty and strong as ever. We pounced on him as he exited the room and we were so relieved when he said she needed only rest and no exertion till we left for home as scheduled in two days. The altitude had affected her and he would have sent her back to the plane's ASAP but she'd begged prettily to be permitted to enjoy her small holiday and had promised to be good. We were charged to ensure this and of course, we readily agreed. Ina escorted him downstairs and dispatched a hotel runner to fill the prescription. She came back to find us strewn all over the room. Grandma was tucked up in bed and Grandpa was sitting in an upright chair next to her, looking officious. Ina, Grandpa's going to tell us a story. Can you believe it? We shrieked at her. She tried earnestly to be strict and to shoo us off so Grandma could rest. But Grandma herself was agog to hear Grandpa's story. So Ina lost that battle. Though she warned Grandma, she'd be keeping a gimlet eye on her. It was inconceivable that Grandpa was taking over story time. None of us could ever remember such a thing. He must be deeply concerned about Grandma. I married your grandmother when I was 18 and she was only 12, he started. And instantly there was an uproar. 
Twelve? That was illegal, surely. Not then, admitted Grandma. I stayed with my parents for another four years, but yes, I was married when I was twelve. It's true. And how old were you after those four years, Grandma? Someone cheekily asked her. Twelve, she intoned, equally cheekily. And even then, they would have kept her longer if I hadn't forced the issue, chuckled Grandpa. She's still a vision of delight, he said. And he couldn't have chosen an audience that agreed with him more. She was the linchpin of our family and every one of us adored her. She's still a vision of delight. But when we were both young, mwah, Grandpa smacked his bunched fingers and held them up to the heavens as witnessed. At twelve, she'd been sweet and pretty. But at sixteen, oh, 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 she was ravishing. He tittered over his passions. Grandma looked inordinately pleased and Grandpa harumphed away happily, awash in his fond memories. I'd visited her home often after we were married, so I'd got to know her quite well. She was clever as a kite and skilled in the home and kitchen, but extremely strong-willed. Her sisters and brothers served dutifully under her command, often even her parents. The only person who wouldn't bend to her will was I, which didn't increase my popularity with her. Oh, dearest! That is most unfair, broke in Grandma, and was summarily shushed. This was Grandpa's story, and she had to let him tell it his way. We let her add only that Grandpa was tall, over six feet, the tallest man she'd ever seen, and the handsomest. And while she'd been bashful, yes, even she, she'd been completely under his spell. She would eavesdrop jealously on every word he said to anybody in the house. The servants, her siblings, her parents, and even the dogs. This was just too much for some of us. Who thinks of your grandparents, all grey-haired and wrinkly, as having had a torrid love story? It was the sweetest thing ever. She'd just turned sixteen. And I took her a valuable gold ornament for her hair as a birthday gift. I'd made up my mind I was not returning without her. It caused a commotion, but finally her parents gave in and agreed to send her. I was proud of my persuasiveness and got to know only years later that I'd only succeeded because she'd stopped eating and drinking entirely until they agreed to send her with me. That sounded like our grandma, and he got sympathetic murmurs from his audience. Trunks and bundles were packed with clothes and kitchen vessels and jewellery and gifts for my parents and siblings. Much had been accumulated in the four years since the wedding, and some had already been sent across. But now everything had to be rushed. The monsoon had started, and two streams had to be crossed on the way home, they could become engorged and dangerous. Having insisted and got my way, I was now a tad nervous. I couldn't retract, but going ahead was fraught with concern too. A week later, 
we set off in three tongas. Have any of you fancy fellows ridden a tonga? We hesitantly offered up the horse carriages we had circled the Victoria Memorial in, knowing full well we would get mocked. He rounded on us scornfully. Cha, Nambi Bambis! That's a fancy horse and carriage, British era. I'm talking of the humble village Tonga. It's just a bamboo platform on a cart, covered if you're lucky, pulled by a single sturdy farm horse. Big wooden wheels rimmed with metal, rumbled easily over dirt tracks, but would break your back on these modern tarred roads. I was a flying fury in my days, and the fastest and the most adept with my Tonga. But a new bride is a new bride, and a furious river is not something to be trifled with. Two carts were loaded with her possessions and gifts, and in the third were my princess, her personal maid, a cotton-stuffed mattress as luxury seating, and myself at the reins. Her parents begged me to stay till the waters receded, but I'd accepted their hospitality too long already. Everything went tip-top till we approached the first stream. It was rough. Grandma stayed inside her cart pacifying her maid, who was crying desperately, certain that these were her last hours on earth. I consulted the other Tongawalas. They were confident. This was manageable. They had tackled much worse. The villagers concurred. It just needed experienced drivers and all three of us were well qualified. Sure enough, we were soon safely on the other side, boasted Grandpa. In an hour, we reached the next stream. But this one was quite another kettle of fish. The villagers assured us it was safe. It was fast-flowing, but shallow. It was scary to look at, and the other drivers were balking. I was familiar with it, and I knew its vagaries well. But it was new to them, and it certainly looked violent enough to give pause. This was a seemingly insurmountable problem. There was no suitable place for a lady to spend the night. There was no way back, and the only way forward required gumption. For myself and my trusted horse, Sultan, I would never have hesitated. But with two women, one already wailing to her household gods and ancestors, oh dear! Grandpa ran completely out of words. But your grandma was no ninny, he restarted his story. She convinced the maid to stay in the village. A safe refuge was sought for her and she agreed cheerfully, only commencing her wailing again when she realized grandma wasn't joining her. She was loath to abandon her ward, but ultimately far more loath to abandon her life, which she was sure she would if she challenged the frothing waters. The Tongawalas were convinced to stay behind too, ostensibly to protect her and bring her safely home when the waters abated. Grandma vowed she'd never let me go ahead without her, and I'd crossed that stream too many times before to be unnerved by it. I assured her I'd never put her in danger, 
that Sultan and I had crossed it in far more violent conditions and that it was all froth and not as much fury as it appeared to be. But I might as well have saved my breath to cool my porridge. She was in for the adventure. She wedged herself into the tonga sideways with her legs and her back and got ready to grab me tight as I launched myself into the driver's seat. I don't know if she thought she, with her tiny frame, could hold me back if the waters decided to pull me from her. But I wasn't going to object to being hugged, now was I? The wicked rascal chortled. Grandma blushed, rosily, remembering her boldness of so many years ago, and it was deliciously sweet to watch them. That was the day I knew for sure this was the perfect woman for me. I was ever the daredevil, an adventurer, and a wife who wailed and tried to hold me back from everything for fear of my dying would have been a major encumbrance. This one was already showing she had the mettle to be a worthy partner. The whole village watched, and the Tongawalas too, and the silly maid screeched and yelled and called on the heavens to protect her tender charge. But with my wife's firm arms around my waist and her cheek pressed tight against my back and Sultan under my command, we carefully and sturdily picked our way through the frothing white waters that didn't even rise high enough to wet the seat of the Tonga. We had a few slips and rushes and got pulled and pushed about a bit, but nothing we hadn't expected. With waves and cheers to the other side, we charged off home. And instead of the hero's welcome I should have received, I was greeted with semi-hysteria that I had put a young girl through this terrible ordeal and this particular genteelly brought up young girl at that. But the young girl in question herself was flushed with excitement and the thrill of her first adventure. Once she'd got her taste of it, nothing could ever hold her back. Our first spousal journey together became the start of a life filled with many risks, thrills and adventures. And I declare, I chose me the best little wife in the whole world, for all she was just a mite of twelve. Considering how good a judge I proved to be of these matters, I should have gone into horse racing. I'm sure I could have chosen the winners straight out of their mother's wombs and made myself a pretty packet. I missed my vocation, I think. The crafty old rascal grinned and winked at his first and best choice. Grandma playfully threatened to beat him and the lot of us fell upon him, offering to do the deed for her until Ina broke in, saying it had been a long enough session for Grandma and she needed her rest. Just then, the hotel boy arrived with Grandma's medicines. And while Ina sorted them out, all of us jumped up to settle them in with their books and reading glasses, water, phone and whatever else they needed at hand before we trooped out, still discussing how no one was going to believe Grandpa had told us a story and how manfully he'd acquitted himself, not just on that stream long ago, but today in the storytelling We'd never suspected the curmudgeonly old codger to have had it in him. He'd proved to be no less a raconteur than Grandma. 
She'd better get well soon and protect her turf if she didn't want competition from within the family.